0: back to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Baratka, and of course, any little bird noises you may hear is my unofficial co-host, Pickle, my canary wing parakeet. She is very cute, so I recommend checking her out on Instagram at Pickle the Canary Wing. And if I sound a little different, that's because I am recording this the night after Pitt's homecoming game. Like, that happened in the day, this is now the night. Uh, we won 77 to 7, so let's just say I did a lot of screaming because there was a lot to cheer on. Uh, why not wait until my throat feels better? Well, honestly, this episode is already so late, so I'm just gonna stick it out. Before we dive in, remember that you can find all my sources linked in the show notes and transcript, which are available on our website, the A to Z animal Podcast.com, under the episodes tab. Resources to help this week's animal will also be linked there. Additionally, any ecology terminology that may be used often most likely can be found on our glossary page. I will be defining words that we may not encounter as often in an individual episode. If you have any feedback or recommendations for a letter, feel free to contact me at Mickey Bear or at A to Z Animal Pod on Twitter and Instagram. There's also a form that you can fill out for animal suggestions on our website. Even if we've done that letter, still feel free to submit as hopefully we'll get the chance to circle back around. We started with A for Ai our weird little lemur friend, followed by B for Binturong, the bear cat, and then C for Caracal, or the desert lynx. After that, we discussed the long-overlooked dole, or Asiatic wild dog, and critically endangered European mink. From there, we talked about my new favorite crocodilian, the false gharial, and then the possibly extinct Glaucus mccall. Last time, we talked about the largest eagle in the Americas, the harpy eagle. Today we will learn about another avian species, but this time much, much smaller, the EEV. Which may not sound like it, but does start with an I. As always, we start with a scientific name, and I think for once the scientific name may be easier for me to pronounce than the common name, or at least the Hawaiian common name which we will discuss in a moment. The EEV's scientific name is Drapanus coquina. Drapana stems from a family japanidae, which, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is a family of Hawaiian passerine birds, including some that have long curved bills suitable for feeding on nectar of flowers and comprising the Hawaiian honeycreepers. Yes, these birds are a member of this family. Quick vocab moment passerine is the group of birds we call songbirds. Okay, actually passerines means that they're adapted to perching, but it's largely songbirds. They just need to be in the order of so like most of your backyard birds, at least here in the US, are in this order. glaucous mccall and harpy eagle are not. If you want to know what is or isn't a passerine, I've linked a source that includes all the families of non-passerine birds. The species named Coquiena doesn't seem to have a clear-cut definition, but from the different sources I'm looking at, it seems to have to do with the red coloration of flowers and the specific types of flowers. It seems that these flowers and the red color give this bird its name. As we'll talk about soon, they do enjoy these flower species. Oh, also they are bright red. You may have noticed that the EVV is not really a common-sounding name, so why is that this bird's common name? Well, this name is Hawaiian, and spoiler alert, this bird is native to Hawaii. So Eevee is the traditional name, but yes, we have westernized the name and given it a more English name. The species is also known as the Scarlet Honeycreeper. The name Scarlet should make sense, as I just mentioned these birds are bright red. Honeycreepers as a whole are a group of species closely related to rosefinches. Most species have curved beaks with long tongues to probe flowers for delicious nectar. Others have more finch-like, thick, short beaks. The diversity of beaks in the honeycreeper group has arisen from adaptive radiation. This is when a common ancestor rapidly diverges into many unoccupied ecological niches. On the islands of Hawaii, we also see many plants undergoing a similar radiation. But let's talk about our specific species. The eevee is probably one of the most recognizable species of honeycreeper, and it's also a symbol of the islands. It also is the third most common land bird on the archipelago. Aside from their crimson coloration, these birds have a slender, curved, salmon-colored bill. Side note, I had to look up when a bird's mouth part is a beak or bill, and it turns out they are synonymous, but people often use beak when referring to the songbirds and Bill, when referring to a more fleshy beak like a duck or a waterfowl, the more you know. The other distinguishing feature that these birds have is their black wings. And it's not just the entire wing, it's just the tip. For these birds, there's no real sexual dimorphism, with the exception that males are slightly larger. That being said, much like other species of birds, including our harpy eagle, the color of plumage does change throughout its lifetime. Don't worry, we'll circle back around to this in a bit. However, unlike our harpy eagle friends, these birds are really small. They're 5.5 inches long. I lied last episode when I said Pickle would get up to 13 inches. I'm not sure where I got that number from, but either way, Pickle species is 3-4 to inches longer than this, and trust me, she's a little bird. It should come to no surprise at this point that this bird is endemic to Hawaii. Endemic means an animal is native to and only found in a specific region. Despite Hawaii being made up of eight major islands and a whole bunch of islets, this bird is only found on three islands. Now it's not too uncommon for species to only be found on a specific island in a chain, but with birds the physical barrier of the ocean isn't that much of a problem. That being said, we do get some really cool diversity in related bird species within island groups. I mean, look at Darwin's finches on the Galapagos Islands. Now, the diversity we look at there largely has to do with the food resources, occurrences of droughts, and other environmental factors. See Peter and Rosemary Grant's work with these finches for a better explanation. I didn't find anything that was limiting these birds to these three islands potentially other islands are too far to journey to, or maybe invasive species or even house cats that have come to the region as humans have taken over, which in turn remove birds from the other islands? Regardless as to the reason they aren't present along the entire archipelago, these birds are found on Kauai, Maui, and Hawaii Island. I did read that they are capable of long and high flights, which may take them between the islands, but This is mostly motivated by food, which we'll touch on in a second. Now, just a warning, I am about to butcher a whole bunch of names as we go into habitat and diet, because these birds live among and drink the nectar of a whole bunch of native Hawaiian flowers, and I can hardly speak English. Side note, as I was recording this, I realized I knew someone from Hawaii and probably could have asked her for pronunciations, but it is too late at night, and I am also far behind schedule in getting this episode out, so... If you're a native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, or can just speak words better than me, please feel free to reach out and tell me how I should have said these words, because, again, I can hardly speak English. These birds can be found in the forest canopy on the islands, where ohia lehua are plentiful. The Eevee is a vital pollinator for these flowers. As such, the nectar of these flowers are one of the bird's major food sources. Aside from these flowers, the birds will also occupy the areas of the forest with lots of mamane and akala. Fun fact, the akala is a species of raspberry native to Hawaii. And yes, Hawaii does have forests, it's not just beaches. However, as we will discuss later, beach resort development on the islands does pose a great threat not only to this species, but all endemic Hawaiian species. And these guys are active foragers, and are said to rarely stop moving. I know they aren't hummingbirds, but reading how they probe for nectar, pollinate flowers, and never stop moving, all I can picture is a bright red hummingbird. Oh, and I think the Leho is the flower that technically gives them the red scientific name, but it's so confusing because these species also have westernized names, but those names when typed into Google don't seem to give the same result, and that my friends is why we have scientific naming systems. And guess what? I already covered their diet. All these flowering plants I cannot pronounce are the species that they get their nectar from and they can do this because of that slender curved bill. Oh, they may also eat small arthropods if need be, but this species is not really adapted to do that. Real quick though, I did just read that they will drink nectar from other flowering plants, but it seems like the trees I just mentioned are the fan favorites. I was unable to find anything about native predators to these birds. In fact, most islands don't have big predators simply because they don't have the same resources as mainlands, but there definitely are some invasive predators. And this is a bigger deal than normal predation because these birds haven't had time to adapt to them. In other ecosystems where there's a clear predator and prey relationship, we see a biological arms race where the species are evolving in response to each other. For example, let's say rabbits evolved to be faster, because the ones who can outrun foxes are the ones more likely to reproduce. Well, in turn, the foxes are going to speed up because those who can catch the faster rabbits are in turn more likely to survive. The cycle then continues. But without any native predators, these birds haven't had to worry about it. Evolution doesn't happen overnight, and the reality is that these introduced predators have had plenty of time to evolve their ability to catch prey. So what... Are these introduced menaces? Well, I heard he hinted at one, and that would be house cats. Outdoor cats harm bird populations here in the continental states. Now, imagine throwing them into the mix with a species that has not had to worry about predation. On top of that, humans have, albeit more inadvertently, brought rats and mongooses with them to the islands. That being said, one of the biggest threats to the Hawaiian honeycreepers is the mosquito. We'll get into why when we talk about threats and conservation, but just know that while technically not a predator, this disease-carrying vector is a big problem for this species. Like most birds, this species is diurnal. We already covered that they pretty much never stop moving looking for food. This is important because they are pollinators, so they are playing a very important role in the ecosystem. And I don't know if it's because they have such an important role or not that they are a very loud species, but I'm going to make a judgment call and say that these are very cocky birds. By this, I mean they get aggressive when other species get near their nectar sources. Not only do their wings make an audible fluttering when they fly, they are also a very loud species as it is. I mean, in my own opinion, passerines are typically pretty loud, but at this point, I feel like I can't judge if a bird is loud or not because my ears are almost always ringing because of pickles screaming in them. As songbirds, it should come as no surprise that these birds make a variety of calls. They have a repertoire of whistles, gurgles, creaks, and quote, reedy notes often joined into halting song, unquote. They also have a diagnostic call, meaning if you hear it, you know it's the species. This call is a rusty hinge call. I'm going to play it for you because I found a bunch of audio for this species and sounds are hard to describe. They may also whistle like humans or even imitate other native birds. This may come as a surprise, but actually quite a few species around the globe have the ability to mimic sounds, although none compared to the lyrebird, which by the way and Don't Tell Pickle is my favorite bird species. But they aren't just territorial over their nectar sources. Both male and female EEVs defend nesting territories. It seems like they're actually more likely to do this than defend nectar resources. I think these birds are actually trying to protect their nectar when it comes to courtship and nesting because it shows that they have the means to support their offspring. And while their nesting territory is smaller than a 1,000 meters squared, their territory is larger than the other Hawaiian honeycreeper species. And if I'm incorrect, please let me know. I swear I could not find a ton about their reproduction. Reproduction in this species is very closely tied with food availability, specifically the availability of the Ohio Leo flowers. Not only are these plants used for our food resources during this time, but nests are often built in the terminal branches of these trees. These nests are small and cup-shaped, which are made from tree fibers, petals, and down feathers. Both males and females work to help build the nest, but as expected, the females do the majority of the work peak breeding season is February through June, but because they are dependent on the Ohio Leo flowering, they may breed between December and July. It seems like these birds may or may not utilize courtship rituals, and by that I mean some sources say they don't really have courtship, and some say they do. I think most likely the reason this is variable is because they are monogamous species. That being said, I couldn't find out if this was per season or for life. One were said they stick together during breeding but go their separate ways the rest of the year. It could very well be that there isn't much research on the topic, but I do know that for some species they will be monogamous for a year and then find a new mate if they find someone better, but others will stick with the same partner between seasons. But the courting rituals that have been observed include the male performing displays such as song flight and wing fluttering while singing. Courtship feeding is also common during the entire breeding cycle. Oh, and females also sing during the season, but as with most species, the males have to prove their worth to the females. But once they've got a mate and a nest, it's time to start laying some eggs. Much like the harpy eagle, the EEV often lays two eggs, but they can have up to three. These eggs are bluish in color and will hatch in about 14 days. Before they hatch, the female is the only one to incubate the nest. That being said, the male isn't totally useless as they will feed the females while they sit on the nest. After they hatch, the chicks are not the same bright red color that gives their parents the name. Instead, they're a yellowish green with brownish orange markings. Because of the stark differences in adult and juvenile plumage, these were actually once thought to be two different species. Of course, molting into adult plumage has since been documented answering that question. This molting will occur shortly after fledging, which will occur around 21-24 to days. At this point, they're able to fly from tree to tree and will follow their parents around, much like how Pickle insists on following me around the apartment. They will depend on their parents for the first four months of their lives. Well hopefully this doesn't happen. Should a nest fail, the species is capable of producing a second brood in a season. I'm sure the extended nesting season helps this. The only other real-life history milestone I should mention is that they brood young. How young? No idea, because I couldn't find that information. I'm assuming young means the following season. I also could not find their average lifespan. That being said, a single website with some questionable formatting said they may live up to 5 to 12 years. Okie dokie, let's get into some fun facts. Okay. One of the first things I learned about these guys is one of my favorite things. A group of honey creepers is called a hive. I don't know, man. I just love fun group names. The feathers of this bird were often utilized by Native Hawaiians to create robes for nobility. While we're on the topic, let's be allies to Native Hawaiians and, I don't know, give them their country back. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a great episode of the podcast Noble Blood titled Until We Meet Again that discusses Queen Lily Okulani, the last Queen of Hawaii, and her rise and fall from power. I also recommend looking up those robes. They are truly beautiful. The website I found this information from actually also gave me the etymology of their scientific name. That being said, the name has clearly been updated recently, because that happens when we learn more about relationships in the world. At the point that the article I got this information from was written, the genus was called Vestiaria, which comes from the Latin meaning clothing, which stems, obviously, from the use of noble robes. The species name is the same. My final fun fact is my favorite fact, simply because it's an evolution thing, and I love evolution if you hadn't picked that up by now. Over the past hundred years, the bill of the EEV has shrunk by half a millimeter. Sure, this doesn't seem like it's all that much, but it's reflective of the fact its diet is now shorter flowers such as the Ahia leo. They used to feed largely on the lobloid flowers, which are longer, but these are now endangered, forcing the birds to switch their primary food source. And now onto the important part of the podcast, conservation. According to the IUCN Red List, these birds are vulnerable and decreasing. That being said, under the Endangered Species Act, this species is listed as threatened. As with all the species we have talked about on this podcast, the loss of habitat poses a great threat to this species, especially since they're highly dependent on very few species, and those species are also at risk. In fact, the Lua have become susceptible to rapid Ohia death, or ROD, which is a fungal disease that is rapidly causing this tree population to decline. Removing the primary food source and habitat for this species isn't going to help the declining population. The biggest threat to these birds is the introduction of the non-native mosquito. These insects spread avian malaria and avian pox. While the mosquito was not always present on the islands, the birds were temporarily able to evade the threat as they could move to higher and cooler elevations. However, with climate change increasing temperatures, there are fewer high mountain refuges available to these birds. They're also losing their forests due to urban development, and as I talked about earlier, other non-native species now prey on them. The good news is there are quite a few efforts to help save these birds. The American Bird Conservancy has efforts to help protect all Hawaiian seabirds. While these guys technically are found in forests, I think because they're endemic to the islands they count as seabirds, one of the major components of these efforts is predator-proof fencing. As I mentioned earlier, these birds are not adapted to predation, so this is a vital effort. Additionally, the Center for Biological Diversity is currently petitioning to protect the lands where these birds call home. There's also an entire project called the Maui Forest Bird Recovery Project, which aims at protecting the forest they call home in addition to creating more high-elevation habitats for them. Their website is linked on our website, and they have places where you can donate to not only help these honeycreepers, but other at-risk Hawaiian birds. There's also a great article from All About Birds, which is part of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, about how to keep hope alive for these birds. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this long overdue episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about the Scarlet Honeycreeper with me. Feel free to follow at A to Z Animal Pod on Instagram and Twitter for updates about upcoming episodes. With this semester underway, it's especially important if you want to know if I'll miss a week, like this past week, as sometimes exams just take precedence over the podcast. And if you've made it this far, please feel free to give me some feedback, be it over social media or email. All of my contact information can be found on the A to Z Animal Podcast.com. What do you think I did well? What topic do you think I glossed over too fast? Do you want longer episodes, shorter episodes? Any feedback is so highly appreciated as I'm brand new to hosting a podcast and know there are probably a million things I could improve on. Thank you so much for listening to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm Michaela Baraka, and I hope you'll tune in next time as we move on to the letter J for Javan rhinoceros, the most endangered mammal in the world. Have a great day, and stay oh. safe. Oh. <laughs> the Ohio-lua, like, Ohio, oh... I'm trying so hard, man. Ohia lehua. Okay, let's go with that. Oh, and I think the Ohia. Ohia. Leo. Oweho. How did I say it a minute ago? Ohia. Ohia. Leo. The Ohia Leo flowers. But because they're dependent on the Ohia Lua. Oh, because they're dependent on the Ohia Leo. Ohia Leo flowers. Leia leo i can't say this stupid flower's name i'm so sorry ohia Luet the ohia leo how many times have i said this flower's name different and i still don't know how to freaking pronounce it i'm so sorry to my native hawaiians that i cannot pronounce your beautiful plants names i can hardly speak my own language obviously i mean hawaiian is it endangered language as it is thanks duolingo for telling me that every time i go into the app um yes i use duolingo i am trying to learn czech but uh no surprise not making great progress because i can hardly speak english so i'm doing my best y'all i'm doing my best i'm i'm, I'm trying